You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. My name is Alan Roth, president of Secure America Now. We're fortunate to have as our guest today, writer, analyst, Lee Smith. I was introduced to Lee's brilliance when I read his insightful book, The Strong Horse. Politics, power, and the clash of Arab civilization. More recently, Lee challenged D.C. conventional thinking by publishing in the tablet magazine an article titled the only path to a u.s victory in the middle east is to leave it now quite a provocative title lee uh lee smith summarize why you think it is vital for the united states to withdraw from the middle east Hey, Alan. Uh, first of all, thanks very much for bringing me on. I really appreciate it. And it's nice to always nice to speak to you and, and speak to your audience. Um, yeah, I think it's I, I think it's important for us to get out of the region. I mean, look, when I say get out of the region, I'm speaking uh, I'm speaking about Afghanistan. I'm speaking about Syria. I'm speaking about Iraq as well. I'm not saying that the United States should remove its bases from different parts of the Gulf. I'm not saying that the United States should uh, abandon its uh, its NATO base at, uh, Interla- at Interlake, you know, flying out of Turkey. I'm talking about these three different engagements that have uh, have been prolonged. The United States, there is no, there is no policy. There is no question about what we're supposed to be doing there, about what victory looks like. And instead, what we're doing is we're throwing uh, we're throwing our best and brightest at a problem we don't know how to address for answers we don't know how to shape. I I, I think that that's corrupting, um, not only for the military, but I think it's corrupting for American society at large, and it's certainly corrupting for the wallet, the Washington policy establishment to come up with such answers as well. Syria is not that big a deal. It's very. It's very low cost to have 2,000 troops in the Syrian desert. I mean, when we talk about low cost, we're talking about, we're, we're talking about Americans. Uh, 2,000 Americans, that's, that, 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 that's, that's not low cost to spend, you know, to, 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 to arm and equip and send, uh, send Americans out to the desert without a clear policy regarding, for instance, Iran. That's, no, that's not low cost. That's a catastrophe. That's a sign that our foreign policy establishment um, is corrupted. I I agree with you. I agree with your analysis. And I want to uh, encourage listeners uh, to visit the tablet magazine and look for Lee's article. Uh, it's well worth reading. It's a longish article um, and you get into various points on and I would like just to uh, to begin by exploring impact of what an endless war I think you use that term I think President Trump used that term of what endless yeah. wars can have on the psyche as well as on the mindset of the American people. 
Right. Uh, well, first of all, I want to explain what I mean by endless war. Lots of people have thought that this is not when I've used it, but when others have used it. Many people thought this was uh, a, a, a piece of rhetoric, that it's extreme, it's not descriptive, it doesn't exactly describe what these troop deployments are about. And my case is, no, it's, it's quite literal. I'm going to talk for a second about what our troop deployments look like in Iraq, um, in, in particular in Iraq, not Afghanistan. What we're doing in Iraq, right, we are pointing our weapons at Sunni extremists. There is no, there is no authorization of military force to go after Iran and Iranian, uh, Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. In fact, Iranian-backed militias in Iraq are part of the central government in Baghdad. We are partnered with Iranian-backed militias in Iraq. In Lebanon, we support the Lebanese Armed Forces, which is now a Hezbollah auxiliary. Our job in the Middle East, in the Levant, meaning Syria and Lebanon, as well as the Fertile Crescent, speaking more particularly about Iraq, our job is to partner with Iranian-backed forces to kill any Sunnis who reject the Iranian security architecture, the Iranian-backed security architecture of the middle of the Middle East. Anyone who says, I don't want to live under the Iranian boot and decides to step out and fight that, we are partnered with the Iranians to kill them. Given that the majority of the region is Sunni Arab, and they do not want to live under the Iranian boot, that war will continue ad infinitum, unless there is an actual campaign of genocide against Sunni Arabs, and, and with, at some point the Sunni Arab population will be eradicated, and of course this is what they're trying to do in Syria, this war will go on forever, and the United States will be partnered with Iranians and with Iranian-backed forces to shoot at Sunni Arabs. So yes, this is actually this is actually what the structure of an endless war looks like. So it's not rhetoric. This is the reality. This is the reality on the ground. This is what the United States intends to commit itself by talking about we're going to go after Sunni extremists. What that means is any Sunni who fights the Iranian-backed order of the region will be moved into that category and will be targeted by the United States in partnership with Iranian-backed forces. The first question we might want to be asking isn't even about never-ending war. The first question might want to be, how did we wind up on the side and we perceive the nation-state actor, the Islamic Republic of Iran, as a major strategic threat to the United States how did it happen that we're partnered with all sorts of Iranian allies throughout the region? Again, starting in Lebanon. Why are we supporting, why are we providing the Lebanese armed forces who have coordinated with Hezbollah and who have worked with Hezbollah, why are we helping them? Why in Iraq are we supporting a central government in Baghdad that is partnered with the Iranians? Why with the uh, interior ministry in Iraq which is full of all sorts of Iranian-trained, Iranian-supported militias, Shia militias, why are we supporting them? Why are we working with them? So these are a lot of the questions that people throughout the policy establishment in Washington 
appear not to be very concerned to ask. In the meantime, they toss out uh, cliches at us like we must stay the course, we can't cut and run. So that's why I think we need to get back to basics and say, what is the policy here? What are we doing? You asked the absolute correct question, and when you were answering my initial question, and you were talking about that our job, and I think you meant that our mission right now is to side with the Iranians against the Sunnis, uh, it just makes absolutely no sense from an American perspective um, as to why we are doing this. Putting the hat uh, of the policymakers, putting on their hat, what do they say other than, you know, we can't cut and run for whatever reason, um, and that we would create a vacuum? Another thing that we hear is that uh, the Kurds are going to uh, be eradicated if we leave, and... Uh, is that in America's interest um, uh, right. to, to have its policy set by the future of the Kurds? Or yeah. is there another, what should American policy be? Right. The Kurds that people are referring to, I mean, again, this is more sloppiness on behalf of the on behalf of the policy establishment, as well as journalists and analysts who write about it. The particular Kurds that people are referring to when they say Kurds. We are talking about the YPG. These are, uh, this is a Kurdish political institution that's allied with the PKK, the Kurdistan Workers Party, that has been at war. It's a, it's a State Department uh, designated terrorist organization. So again, that's the first thing people should be asking. Why are we relying so much uh, in this part of the Middle East and partnering with an organization that the State Department has said, or that the U.S. government, rather, has said is a terrorist organization. These are the Kurds that people are talking to. No, what these Kurds should do, look, the U.S. presence and U.S. support of this particular Kurdish organization has helped them advance their position against vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Turks. Now what they should do is they should go and, you know, Erdogan had for all of Erdogan's numerous faults, um, Erdogan had actually uh, initiated a peace process with this Kurdish organization. Now this Kurdish organization should go back and into negotiations with the government in Ankara. It is certainly not the United States' role to carve out an independent Kurdish entity um, somewhere on the Turkish border and somewhere within the borders of Turkey. That is not the role that the United States is supposed to be doing at all. So when people talk about why we should be uh, protecting the Kurds or fighting the Kur or helping the Kurds, the Kurds can help this particular institution. Again, people seem not to understand that there are Kurdish political institutions throughout the region. There's the, there's you know there are different partners that we have in Iraq, uh, and this is not the same thing. So no, the United States should not be. <laughs> should not be fighting a NATO member on behalf of the Kurds. Again, I know that people are extremely mad at uh, Erdogan and others and frustrated. It's important to remember, however, um, Erdogan will not live forever. There's going to be Turkey and it's going to be a NATO member after Erdogan is gone. 
So what is the United States going to do to shape its shape its alliance, its relationship with this uh, with this important NATO member? So we need to get we need to look past Erdogan at this point. What does Turkey mean for us in the Middle East? And we also need to look and say that um, the PKK is not a substitute for a real nation state like Turkey. As you said, um, our current policy has pitted us in a very violent way against the Sunni population uh, by Iraq. On the other hand, or at the same time, we have a situation where the Trump administration and the government of Israel have both made what appears to be progress towards a peaceful entrees to the Sunni world, Saudi Arabia. Does this impede the efforts to bring about a regional, at least a, a cessation of hostilities between the Sunni world and Israel? We continue uh, this policy of going after the Sunnis inside Iraq. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, and the the way I see it right now is that uh, the great, uh, or or the the, the Gulf Sunni powers, and we're talking in particular about Saudi Arabia, but also the uh, the United Arab Emirates, we understand from different channels that the relations with Israel are getting warmer because they recognize that their big problem right now, uh, the big problem right now is Iran. I, I mean, <laughs> again, it's my impression that lots of these Sunni Arab powers are looking at Israel as a more reliable, more, maybe perhaps not reliable, because Israel is not going to carry the ball for the Arab powers the way that the United States has done historically, but that it's certainly a much more coherent power because it says that Iran has its problems and it's fighting Iran uh, and it's also fighting Iranian allies throughout the region, especially Hezbollah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, 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 think, I think the player in the region that needs to get on board is the United States. I think everyone else sees what the big problem is, is that it's Iran. But again, why the United States? Look, let's talk about this land bridge in Syria that everyone is talking about. The 2,000 troops who are blocking a land bridge in the middle of the Syrian desert. Well, as, as, as my friend and colleague, Tony Bedron, uh, and, and, uh, really, in my opinion, the top Middle East analyst there is, as Tony has said, he's likened this to, for instance, the Brooklyn Bridge. He said to say that we're covering or protecting a part of this land bridge or blocking a part of this land bridge it's like imagining a deployment on top of a certain part of the Brooklyn Bridge. Once you get off the Brooklyn Bridge, you have Brooklyn on one side and you have Manhattan on the other side. What we have on the two sides of this land bridge in the Middle East is we have Lebanon in the west, we have Iraq in the east. And in Lebanon in the west, again, we are supporting, we are funding a Hezbollah ally. In the east, in Baghdad, or rather on the Syrian-Iraqi border, we are supporting an Iranian ally, the popular mobilization units or popular mobilization forces. So the United States really needs to think about what it's doing. When it says that we need to be worried about the Iranians, then we need to ask why we're supporting the Iranians. 
while we're engaged in state-building enterprises in Lebanon and Iraq, states that are right now controlled by, actively controlled by Iran or Iranian entities. <laughs> What's the answer? Why? I mean, what logical reason could uh, the uh, formulators of our foreign policy uh, come up with? I know originally, yeah. uh, originally, at least the last couple of years, they talked about the need to have with Russia, Iran, and the United States to destroy ISIS. Uh, and that was used as a reason for some sort of cooperation. But you're talking about something that's far deeper than cooperation. This is like allowing Iran or helping Iran to actually build foundations in these countries that uh, strengthen Iran in its right. nefarious activities. Well, it's the, it's partly the fantasy of the foreign policy. Well, I'll, let, let me get through it. There's one, partly the fantasy of the foreign policy establishment, that if you go in there and help build states, that they'll come to their senses and they'll realize that Iran is bad news and really their real friend is the United States since we helped them build real state institutions like the Lebanese Armed Forces. That's one thing, the fantasy of the foreign policy establishment. This comes in part from, this is less, this is the State Department and the Pentagon. They both entertain this fantasy. Then there's something else which is much more, to my mind, much more vicious. And this came out in a quote from former Defense Secretary uh, General James Mattis. This was, I believe, a quote in the Washington Post. When President Trump said, you guys want me to send forces everywhere. Why? What's the justification? What's the rationale? And uh, as Mattis responded, said, we're trying to prevent them from blowing up Times Square, sir. Um, that's, that's, that's not true. The point, uh, part of the point of these deployments is to show in the event that there is a catastrophic attack on the United States homeland to protect the president's flank, to protect the, to protect the administration's flank from too much political heat when political opponents start blaming the administration for a catastrophic attack that outrage, uh, should outrage American citizens, that our young men and women are being sent to the Middle East in order to protect any, any given administrations, whether it's Democratic or Republican, to provide political cover in the event there's an attack on the American homeland. So I, 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 I think that's, that's, that's very bad and that's something to be discussed at length. And then there's something, then there's another factor which is, which is much more abstract, uh, but I think is, I, I think is very significant, is that the Washington policy establishment is essentially a pro-Iran, uh, essentially pro-Iran. I know it sounds bizarre, I know it sounds peculiar, but, uh, you know, I, I, Alan, you, you you and I recall well what the what the fight was against the nuclear deal. If you look at what's happened over the last over the last three years, we, we've we've lost a number of colleagues, people who have, who apparently seem not to care that much about the nuclear deal when push came to shove, right? I, I, I mean, there are all sorts of people who want to do a number of different things, and you know, and and and, and in large part they objected when 
when President Trump decided to withdraw from the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. So, again, right and left, astonishingly. I, I, I didn't know it, but certainly we've seen this the last three years, both left and right, entertain fantasies about rapprochement with the, with the Islamic Republic of Iran. So once you start combining all of these different things, I think that's how you wind up where we are right now, sending, uh, sending Americans to deploy in the Middle East without having very coherent ideas about what our strategic interests are, what our priorities should be, and um, how we use American resources. In particular, what are the kinds of things that we put our young men and women in the middle of when we deploy them to the Middle East? You know, uh, one of the uh, consequences of our policy is, of course, it puts uh, all sorts of challenges before the state of Israel. And uh, with the strengthening of Iran, uh, Lebanon, Syria, elsewhere, Iraq, Israel is faced with... uh, serious uh, uh, military threat that it didn't have before the Syrian civil war. How do you, uh, how would you explain what it is, what the situation is, what are its greatest challenge at the moment, um, uh, given consequences of American policy uh, and uh, and what is it that Israel should do? I'll just add one other thing. Um, the, the Prime Minister of Israel has made a has made frequent visits with uh, to Vladimir Putin uh, to make sure or to try to diminish uh, confrontations with Russia as Israel tries to defend itself against right. Iranian and um, and there was an article that I saw yesterday that showed that there seems to be uh, less success in those in that cooperation that Israel is in fact and Russia that uh, tensions are rising over the situation, especially as it pertains to Iran. Can you talk right. to that? Yeah. Let, 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 me, let me start with the Russia stuff. That's very interesting. I missed that article. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at that later. Um, I mean, yes, I, I, I've been of the opinion for quite some time. I mean, certainly since the Russian escalation of forces in about September 2015, uh, I mean, we know Prime Minister Netanyahu has visited... Uh, President Vladimir Putin many times, whether it's Moscow or Sochi, and it's certainly been my impression, I mean, if you have to go more than once, the message is not getting through, right? I mean, Netanyahu has had to visit Russia a number of times, and we can only imagine what those conversations are like, right? That Netanyahu has to keep under, he has to keep saying, look, these are our red lines, this can't go on, we've got to stop this, we're going to do something, and who knows what Putin says, whether he says, oh yeah, right. I'll tell my generals, or don't worry, I'll fix it. But Netanyahu has to keep coming back. Um, I think that the most the United States can do, and I think this is really significant, I think at a certain point, if it's going to come to, um, if Israel is going to have to 
really take on the Iranians in force in a massive way. I think the most important thing the United States can do is President Trump will uh, effectively put his hand on Mr. Putin's shoulder and say, we want you to sit this one out. You're not going to do anything about it. The Israelis have some business to take care of, and that's our partner, and they're going to do what they need to do. Stay out of the way if you know what's good for you. I think that's the most important thing that can happen. Um, I'm of the opinion, actually, that insofar, insofar as the United States can withdraw from the region, that opens up Israel's uh, room to maneuver. Look, I, 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 think it's, I think it's a bipartisan mess up. I think that, I think that both the Bush policy, um, I think that Bush policy enhanced Iran's position and it, 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 it damaged Israel. It, it, it hurt Iran's position. Uh, rather, it helped Iran's position. Certainly, Obama by not doing, you know, with, with the JCPOA and with the bill, with the hundreds of billions of dollars with which he filled Iran's war coffers. Well, we see what's happening right now. You see IRGC forces moving much, much closer. Actual IRGC forces moving closer to Israel's border. That's an enormous issue. Um, also, since 2003, since the United States occupied Iraq, the opinion of Washington decision makers, especially in the Pentagon, Pentagon officials has been, we are not going to do anything to Iran because the, the Iranians might start firing at our troops, right? So that's how the Pentagon has perceived it, that American forces are essentially hostage to Iran. And that's certainly the case with Israel as well, that the United States... Or should Israel do anything about Iran, um, then American forces would get shot at. This is simply the way the Pentagon has been talking about this now for 15 years. So and I, I think that the more the United States can get out of the way, the more opportunity that gives for Israel. The less chances there are of Americans getting shot at and American officials saying, well, we have to rein in the Israelis because they're shooting at our guys, because the Iranians are shooting at our guys. We don't want that. We don't want our people in the way. We've caused enough trouble for, certainly not intentionally, but we caused trouble for the Israeli strategic position as well as our own. I, so I, I think on every count, the wise move is to, is to withdraw U.S. forces, those U.S. forces, Iraq and Syria, as well as Afghanistan, from the region as soon as possible. Well, I know that you're, first off, I want to thank you, Lee, for spending time and sharing your always interesting analysis of the Middle East. And in this particular case, you are, uh, it's an analysis that I hope the policymakers hear, and we're going to try to make that happen. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I know that you're, you're, you're reaching deadlines. You're coming out with a new book. And in addition to be, to being a Middle East analyst, uh, Lee is also a media analyst. And he has done some phenomenal work on, uh, the media in the United States. And he is finishing up a book, which I hope to have him on to discuss after it's published, uh, about, uh, the media in in the era of Donald Trump. So 
So I uh, want to thank you um, again. Thank you for thank you for having me, Alan. I really appreciate it. It's been terrific and very interesting. I'm, I'm very uh, I'm very honored you invited me on. Thank you. Well, any time uh, you would like to come back, we will host you, and um, and uh, you were very informative as always. Thanks a lot, Thanks, Ali. Thank you for listening to Code Red with Secure America Now. We are the largest national security digital platform in the nation, dedicated to bringing critical security issues to the forefront of the American debate. For more information, visit our website at www.secureamericanow.org.